Welcome to Focused on Forward. The purpose of this podcast is to focus on recovery from life situations, be it a disease, chronic or acute, perhaps the loss of someone so dear to you in death, or a change of life patterns that has affected you so profoundly that you have no choice but to find your new normal and become focused on moving forward. Each episode is designed to show the positivity that people bring to each and every one of their stories, the successes they've had, ways that they have become so definitively focused on moving forward. We look forward to sharing their stories, and we hope that they inspire you just as much as they have inspired us. Thanks for listening, and enjoy the show. Hello, and welcome to Focused on Forward. I'm excited because I have a guest on today who was kind enough to have me on his show uh, a little while back, and you can still find that episode on YouTube for a show called Scar Bearers. And I'm excited because not only is he a fantastic host, and I enjoy being on his show, but he has a very intriguing story that I think, uh, for me, was something that I, I was not familiar with, and I had to do a little bit of research as to what he had gone through and, and, and really how he was able to move forward in life. But today we have the pleasure of being joined by Chris D.T. Gordon, who's a speaker, a teacher, and a survivor of something called necrotizing fasciitis. And Chris is going to tell us what happened, how it happened, but most importantly, we're looking forward to seeing how Chris was able to move forward in his life. Welcome to the show, Chris. Tim, it's always a pleasure to talk with you. I greatly appreciate this opportunity. And Happy New Year, my friend. I know we're recording this right after the New Year, but... It's been fun to see your growth, and I'm excited to be part of it now. Oh, thank you. I'm excited to have you here as well. So to get to my story, I'm going to start a little uh, before the main event. You know, I live in New Ulm, Minnesota. I didn't always live in New Ulm. Uh, you and I are both trolls, as I say. We both grew up under the bridge, under the Mackinac Bridge. I grew well, up sir. in the Flint, Michigan area. And in 2002, I moved to New Ulm, Minnesota, which is known for German heritage, German beer, the second largest copper statue in the United States named Herman the German. And I live here with my wife, Becky, and my three fantastic kids, Josh, Seth, and Anna. Before March 18th, 2015, things are going pretty well. Becky and I were both teachers. She taught at the local high school here in New Ulm. I taught at a online middle school as a special education teacher. That's right, folks. There was online teaching before the pandemic. The kids were in. Yeah, I know exactly. Right. So uh, the kids were in kindergarten. Josh was in kindergarten. The twins, Seth and Anna, were in daycare. And not only was I a teacher, a husband, a father, I was also a runner. And I've run everything from a mile run to marathons. And Tim knows this about me. I am also rather geeky. You can't see it, but I am surrounded by Iron Man, the Ninja Turtles, Deadpool, Transformers. I, I am diving into my books on Money Python facts and 100 Greatest marvel comics and so i love pulp culture and i brought that to my running even dressing up in costume when i ran races 
So that all happened before March 18th, 2015. Things are going pretty well, you know, uh, short. And I guess that's the short answer. Well, on that particular date, things changed. I was helping Becky get the kids ready for school and daycare, respectively. And my younger son, Seth, was toddling about, which is pretty par for the course, seeing as he was two at the time. I decided to help expedite the, the process of getting him on his way. So I picked him up and I flew him back and forth on the way to our detached garage. However, I, fear, I veered too far to the right and scraped the back of my right hand on my garage wall. Well, I briefly looked at it. Was it bleeding? Tis but a scratch. So I put him back into, I put him into the car seat. I kissed them all goodbye. And then as they went on their way, I went back into the house to wash out the wound to make sure that nothing would happen to it. And I started my day of online teaching. Three days later, I wake up to find a lacrosse ball sized bump on my right elbow. I usually don't wake up like that. So I decided to go to the urgent care clinic to have it checked out. The doctor there said that it might have been bursitis, which is an inflammation of the bursa sac in our joints. And I should keep an eye on it. So I followed the doctor's orders and I kept an eye on it. As it grew, and grew and grew until the bump encompassed my entire arm and shoulder and my right arm was three times the size of my left. Holy cow. In comic book parlance, I was the Incredible Hulk in mid-transformation. But instead of being angry and smashy, I was more sicky and tiredy. Becky found a babysitter for the kids, and she took me to the emergency room where they quickly admitted me because, hello, huge right arm. Right. But when they started taking my vitals, they found something else was wrong. Not only did I have a huge right appendage, but they couldn't get a, an accurate blood pressure reading on me. I had gone septic. For those who don't know oh, what no. sepsis is, it's yes, it's an exaggeration of the body uh, to a foreign agent that's introduced to it. And I say exaggeration because instead of just dealing with it outright, sepsis can actually kill you. Uh, in my case, it was sending a, a chemical into the bloodstream to ward off foreign agent, the set, set of foreign agent. But as I said before, that alone can kill you because it's a chemical, it's poison. So I had poison coursing through my veins and a ginormous right arm. Not the craziest Saturday night I ever experienced, but easily the top five. It was in the top five. So they kept me overnight for observation. And in the morning, that attending doctor came up to my hospital bed and said something I will never forget. She said, Mr. Gordon, this is beyond us. We can do nothing more for you here. Where do you want to go? Well, I live in South Central Minnesota. Rochester, Minnesota is two hours away. And Rochester, Minnesota is the home of the Mayo Clinic. So I say Mayo. And 
I said Mayo just like that because it's like the share or Beyonce of hospitals. You can say just that one word and people know what you're talking about. Instant recognition. But also, yeah, yeah exactly. It's world renowned. But also, and it looks very sparkly in uh, sequence. But also, uh, Bill and D, Becky's parents, and I'm, and I'm very close to them, so I still call them mom and dad. They lived in Rochester. So I knew that Becky, the kids, and Max, the dog, would have a place to stay for the, I was sure, Tim, two or three days, Max, this would take to resolve itself. So I get on the phone, I call Becky to tell her what's going on. And in the meantime, the crew is getting me prepped for a flight from New Ulm to Rochester. It took about 20 minutes. It was much better than the helicopter they wanted to put me in because there was a winter storm warning uh, and a, a storm was coming very close to us. And so they figured, eh, let's get him out of here for a little faster. So they took me to the St. Mary's Hospital, which is the main, the, the main hospital in the Rochester Mayo system. And that's where they diagnosed me officially with necrotizing fasciitis or flesh eating bacteria. Wow. It was a blur after that. Uh, I, they started prepping, prepping me for surgery and then they gave me some painkillers. And the last thing I remember, Tim, is having a conversation with the surgeon and he was telling me what was going on. And while he's telling me this, I had a flashback to the movie True Lies. You ever seen True Lies, Tim? Yeah, several times. Yes. You remember that, that part where the Arnold Schwarzenegger character is, he's drugged and he's in the chair and he tells his captors how he's going to escape and kill them? Yes. That is what I was like, except for the murder. I was very cocky, very confident. Instead of being all sad and crying and I'm scared, for, you know, I'm, I'm fearing for my life. I was all, let's do this. Let's go. I'm ready. That weirded out the, the surgeon a bit because he wasn't used to it. He was used to people being scared and fearful. And sure. I'm like, I'm like a drunk Charles Xavier. I'm like, let's go without the accent, of course, and the <laughs> mental powers. So needless to say, they get me in there. And they put me under for five days. And there are a number of surgeries that take place within that five-day time frame. The first of which is to remove all the infected skin and tissue from my arm, shoulder, chest, and back. So they had to do what they call debride all that, all that infected tissue, make sure every single bit of NF was removed because if one bit of that uh, of that bacteria remained the process would just start all over again so and we have to remember this is all coming back from a cut i had on the back of my right hand something that had happened hundreds of times before so after they remove all the infected skin and tissue they see that the infection had gone so far into my right arm that they decided that they were going to have to amputate. In fact, it was a certainty to them. Oh, they boy. even told Becky this. It was, wow. it was, you know what? We're going to turn him to a right-handed winter soldier. 
lob off that arm and we'll just try to save his life. Well, that didn't happen, thankfully, because the occupational therapist in the surgery saw that at the beginning of the second surgery, I still had hand function. So what they elected to do then was to extract a 15 inch by four inch flap of skin from my left thigh and place it on my right hand and forearm. And since uh, that is my thigh on my hand now, I call it my thand, <laughs> copyright pending. There you However, go. Yeah. yeah, you know, you just do what you can. And I, I figure thand, no one has ever, ever said that on purpose. I'll take it. Okay. However, this is where my story turns a little into a version of when you give a mouse a cookie. Because sure, I have a, I can save my right arm, but now I have a gaping hole in my left leg that they couldn't close naturally. So they first extract my vastus lateralis, which is my outermost quadricep muscle in my left thigh. Then they install a shoestring contraption to call the Jacob's ladder on the inside of the wound. And then they place two knobs, one on either side of the wound on the outside. So they can tighten the knobs over time to close the wound. And so I have a tri instead of a quad in my left leg and a pretty awesome 15 inch scar. It looks like I was attacked by a shark. But then there's the case of the exposed skin and tissue on my upper right side. So they grab a, a, a skin graft harvester. That's what they call it. I called it a cheese slicer on steroids because that's exactly what it looked like. And exa that's exactly how it works. They ran okay. up and down my back and my thighs to grab samples to place on those exposed areas, my right arm, shoulder, chest, and back. And if I thought I had a hard time getting a tan as a ginger before, it was impossible now. It looks like I have white racing stripes all over my back and my thighs. Or maybe someone got really crazy with some duct tape. So the five days passed. I wake up, I am understandably confused and a little belligerent, uh, and it was not on purpose, but when you wake up and you think that you're at the bottom of a water slide in a hospital, and it turns out you're just spewing green liquid because of the CT fluid that was in your body, you wake up a little cantankerous, we'll say. I would. In imagine, fact, my, yeah. my brother, who actually flew from Grand Rapids, Michigan, uh, as soon as he heard what I was going through, he was at the hospital at the time I woke up. He almost jumped back on the plane and headed home. <laughs> Thankfully, he didn't, uh, because not only would he not have called my wife and my father-in-law to come see me, he would also not have given me an iPad, which was really nice to have during my recovery. So Becky and Bill show up and the three of them are talking with me, filling me in on what had happened within the last five days. And then after a little while, they leave. And I, I'm awake for the first time in five days with my, I wouldn't say improved body, but new to me body. Uh, imagine uh, uh, an alive and alert Frankenstein's monster to start going through not only what had happened to me via their conversation, but also what was my life going to be like going forward? 
And I had had all of the necrotizing fasciitis, all the flesh eating bacteria removed from me. But now this is where another type of bacteria set in, Tim. I call it personal bacteria. All of the negative thoughts that I started having because of the questions I couldn't answer about my next chapter in life. I started thinking about what was I going to look like when I fully recovered, if I fully recovered? What was I going to be able to do physically? How was I going to deal with this mentally? What were my relationships going to be like with Becky, the kids, my other family members and friends, colleagues, everyone I was in contact with? How were we going to deal with this financially? And so I started thinking about those questions and I had no answers. And I usually thought I was a pretty positive guy, but I had never been put in this situation. And something I often say when I do speaking engagements is where your thoughts go, your mind and body will follow. If you have positive thoughts, you're going to develop a positive mindset and commit positive actions. Obviously, the, the opposite is true. And that's where I was headed down was that negative mindset and those negative actions because I started having negative thoughts. Thankfully, though, they, that personal bacteria didn't stay for long because during one of her daily visits, Becky came by and she started telling me about all the wonderful things people in our various social circles were doing for us. Our neighbors were shoveling our walkways, snowblowing our driveway, keeping an eye on the house. People in our various teaching communities were stepping in to donate clothing and food. I had some colleagues from my online school who lived in Rochester stop by Bill and Dee's house to check up on the family, to drop off food, even to donate toys and clothes to the kids and play with the kids. It turned out that they were not at Bill and Dee's house for two or three days. They were there for two weeks and had virtually nothing of their own. Uh, friends and family members and even strangers donated to a GoFundMe account that one of Becky's high school classmates had started for us. And as I mentioned before, my brother flew in from Michigan to, to spend time with the family and bought me an iPad. So I had something to entertain myself while I recovered. When Becky told me all of these wonderful things that people were doing for us, that personal bacteria washed away. And I was left now with what I call the attitude of gratitude or TAG for short. And when I started working through this tag, it took the form of three questions. The first question was, what good things did I have in my life? Now, Tim, I'm going to turn on you for a second. When I ask you what good things do you have in your life, what do you, I mean, what do you say? How do you respond to that? Uh, immediately, I think of my family. That's the first thing that always comes to my mind if somebody asks me that question. Exactly. And that's often what happens. We think of the big things, you know, our family, friends, our job, our home, you know, other big 
ticket items, I guess you could say. And I thought of that definitely, but then I thought about, hmm, I wonder what the, I wonder what small things I could think of. Because when we think about it, those small, everyday, seemingly insignificant parts of our lives are what really bring us that daily dose of joy. For me, in the hospital, I started thinking about the, the Netflix show Daredevil and how that was just released when I was in the hospital. So I really enjoyed you know, logging into Netflix to watch that show. And gee, I really hope I see Charlie Cox again as Daredevil someday. Um, so, you know, I really enjoyed that time I, I spent watching that show and, and just being able to binge while I recovered. Then there's the thought of the fact that the sun never shined in my eyes when I lay bed, bedridden in my hospital room. And I know that sounds very random, but when you are sequestered or confined to a particular spot, for days or weeks on end, and you have virtually no control over your environment, the fact that you don't have to ask another person for one more thing is actually a godsend. And then there's the hospital pizza. Now, Tim, what's your relationship with hospital food? Well, it depends on the hospital. Um, so the children's hospital that we were at with my daughter had some of the most phenomenal food that that I've ever seen at a hospital. Most of it was, was restaurant quality. Um, the, re, the rehabilitation hospital, they had a good sandwich maker. We'll leave it at that. <laughs> gotcha. Well, I don't know. Maybe, your, maybe the children's hospital chef shared the recipe with the St. Mary chef because they had phenomenal pizza. It was unbelievable I'm, I'm still talking about it to this day it's so good and maybe it was because i hadn't had pizza in a month when i first had it it just hit the spot every time and even today i think about these small things that really make my life easier like my duct taped mouse which looks like me in a lot of ways you know held together by foreign ob objects but still able to work as well as it can and then i think about door hinges we usually don't think about door hinges, but when your door breaks and you can't open it, all, all of a sudden, you know, especially if it's the door hinge that broke, that hinge becomes very important. And once you get that pin back in and it's and that door swinging back and forth, oh man, you're thinking all about door hinges and how great they are. Then I think about my right armpit, like we all do. Now, remember, I said that my upper right side was covered in skin grafts. Skin grafts are non-porous, which means they don't sweat. I have saved a good chunk of money on deodorant by only having to use it on one arm. And I, I, can make a, I could easily make a, a stick of deodorant last for six months, Tim. That is impressive. So, you know, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna say my life is much better, you know, because of that. But it's a, it's little things, and that's the point. It's the little things that bring us that daily dose of joy. And so I try to think of how many little things I have in my life that really make my life better, or at least more enjoyable. And so that's the T. Think about the good things in your life. 
Then I thought about, okay, I thought about what is good in my life. Then I thought about who do I appreciate in my life and why? And again, when we ask ourselves that question, we think of the big groups of people, you know, people who share our faith, our family, our friends, our coworkers, our neighbors. And for me, my mind went to the medical professionals, not only the doctors and the other people in the, in the surgeries, but especially the nurses, because not only were they top notch and they kept me healthy and helped me recover, but they also became friends of mine. I have uh, this wonderful story I love to share. When you have, when you have to stay in the hospital for a certain amount of time, and maybe Tim, this happened in your experience, um, with your daughter, you sometimes get a poster on the wall it is that's called the getting to know you poster. I'm not sure if your, uh, your daughter had that. Um, we had a, we had a whiteboard that we filled out okay. so that when, when they came in, uh, the nurses could take a look at that and the doctors could look at that and, and know who was in the bed and, you know, um, you know, that was up for the first couple of weeks. Then we started changing around because by that point they all knew who, who and what Kendall was. So. Gotcha. Gotcha. And I had a similar uh, device in my room. It was called the getting to know you poster and asked a bunch of questions. So people get surprise, surprise, get to know you. One of the questions on my poster was favorite movie. Now, Tim, you heard me expound on my love for the uh, Marvel Cinematic Universe. I showed you my Captain America shirt earlier, talked about how I have Transformers on my shelf. I love Star Wars. I even quoted Monty Python earlier. So you could probably guess what my favorite movie is. That's right, Blazing Saddles. This is the tip of my tongue. I was just getting ready to say it. Exactly. I could see it. I could just see that B being in the form. So I, put, I asked him to put Blazing Saddles on there. Well, one Monday morning, Chris, the head nurse, practically runs into my hospital room and almost trips over something. And she's stammering with her words. She says, Chris, I was at a garage sale this weekend. I saw this and I thought of you and I bought it. And here it is. She bought me a DVD copy of Blazing Saddles at a garage sale. Oh, cool. I am nothing more to her than a part of her job. I mean, that's how I see it. I, I am a, an item on her to-do list. But for her to not only recognize that that movie and that bin at that garage sale was my favorite movie, but then she went out and bought it with her own money and gave it to me. That, that copy of Blazing Saddles is one of my prized possessions. One of those things that you would run and, and grab yep. if the house were on fire. I believe it. Because not only, not, not because of the market value, but because of the love and friendship in which it was given. And, you know, that obviously that's one of those items that I am thankful for, but I just am always think about how much love and friendship she showed me with that gesture. And now, Tim, I'm going to take a quick break from my story, and I'm going to offer what I call the triple A, how to actively augment your appreciation of someone. It's a three-step process, and it's very quick. So if you'll, uh, if you'll humor me, uh, here it is. All right. So the first step is I want you to 
think of someone in one of your social circles, could be your family, friends, colleagues, maybe uh, a former high school classmate, and take them out of that social circle temporarily. You're not shunning them. You're not, you know, voting them off the island. They'll come back. Okay. Okay. So they're out of that social circle on their own without any connection to you. Now I want you to think of all the positive ways that, that person affects the, the world around them, how well they parent, what, what a good friend they are to others, how well they do their job, you know, what other positive ways they affect the world. So once okay. you've done that, I want you now to put them back into that social circle that you share. And I want you to think about how awesome it is that you have this fantastic person in your life with all those ways that they make the world a better place. I like to use my wife, Becky, as an example here. Yes, Becky is my wife, my partner, my best friend. But when I take her out of that social circle that we share and look at her on her own, I see that she's a fantastic mother, a loving daughter and sister, a brilliant teacher, a well-read historian, a great musician, a dedicated athlete, and she even has a sharp wit and is just as geeky as I am, but she really downplays a lot more than I do. And she's a benefit to the community as a whole. I put her back in that social circle that we share, and she's still all of those things. But now I see she's my wife, my partner, my best friend, friend to boot. How lucky am I? And I really think that we can use the triple A, not only for those whom we love and respect and like naturally, but if there's someone in your life that you struggle to see eye to eye with, or maybe you, you know, you just don't see how you can have a common, you know, common interest with this person. Maybe you just don't enjoy that person's company a lot. I'm not saying you have to be best friends with everyone, but if you incorporate the triple A with that person and you see that, you know, maybe they don't get along with you very well, but it's maybe they show their kids a lot of love. Maybe they're a great, you know, employee or they, they're a great employer. You know, there are some ways that that person benefits their community. And while we may not always be friends with people, we can always be friendly and develop more appreciation for at least how they affect the world around them. And I think if people did that, that would really help our relationships, not only our, you know, in our own communities, but just around the world. Oh, I agree. So that's, that's the AAA. And I, I really like that because it's a way for us to really practice appreciation because it's easy to say, yeah, I appreciate you for cleaning the dishes. But, you know, it's when you can appreciate someone for who they are. Oh, I believe is that yeah. that's really yeah. counts. Yeah, I actually did that with somebody a couple of years ago. I didn't know to call it the AAA at the time, but I will from here on out. Um, but I had somebody that I was struggling with and we had a, a lot of similarities, but there were some areas where we were very different and that's where the friction came in. And instead of deciding to focus on the things that irritated me about that person or the things that 
caused the friction between he and I, I decided to look at his positive qualities, focus on those things. And now I'm not saying that we're best of friends and that we're going to hold hands and skip and sing Kumbaya together uh, anytime soon. But uh, I also have an appreciation for him, who he is, what he does, how he does it. And, you know, some of the things that you just mentioned were the things I looked at. He's uh, a phenomenal husband and father. He, you know, he's a hard worker. He, um, he has a very deep faith and, and exercises his faith um, in a way that I admire. And so there was a lot of these things where I could look at it and go, okay, I like these things about him. Mm-hmm. And um, I think that that helped us to have a, a you know, like I said, not a, a deep friendship, but a, a functional friendship where if we're, you know, because we have similar circles of friends. So when our, our lines cross, it's not me going, oh God, he's here again, you know? And I think that makes it better for me. I hope it makes it better for him. And I, I like to think it makes it better for everyone because now there's not that friction as people appreciating one another. Yes. Yes. And thank you for sharing that, that example that, you know, I, I do hope that continues for you and him. So oh, I'm sure it will. I, I work hard on it. Well, good. That's all we could do. All we could do is our best. And so that's the A that was acknowledging the appreciated. So we had the T thinking of all the good things in your life, a acknowledging the appreciated and then we get to the G, which is how can I give someone else a reason to be grateful? Now, in the hospital, there wasn't a lot I could do physically. I could, I could mention stuff on social media. I, could, I think I donated to a couple GoFundMe accounts of other people's. But it was when I was discharged from the hospital. And I was in the hospital for two months and then... I was in home therapy for another three weeks. So it was after I signed off on home therapy that really started taking charge. Uh, When I started running again, I started picking up more garbage that was on the road or on the sidewalk or in other people's yards without getting too trespassy. I started uh, shoveling our neighbor's walkways or snowblowing driveways during the winter or in the summer when they would go on vacation, I would mow their lawns if I noticed they were getting a little long. And then there's the classic opening doors for people. And that always, I think opening a door for someone is always gets overlooked because it's so simple. You just use your body weight to hold it open so it doesn't hit the other person. But we never know what someone's going through on a day-to-day basis. Someone could be having the worst day of their life. But if you hold a door for someone, you're, they notice it, you're showing them, hey, I can't help you with what you're dealing with overall. But if I can help you in this one instance, if I can show you that I see you and I want to help you in this little way, that might, if not turn their whole life around, at least it'll make them feel a little more appreciative that not the whole world isn't against them. Absolutely. That falls under the umbrella of little things mean a lot. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And I'm not saying, you know, you should only do those three things. I like saying those three things though, because it shows that those don't cost me anything to do. Does it cost me anything to mow someone's yard? Does it cost anything for me to hold a door open for someone? But to the recipient, 
especially if they're having a bad day, that could be priceless to them. Because you, again, we never know what someone's going through. And by then, you know, sharing with them, hey, you know, make sure you do this for someone else. Or, you know, maybe you start a conversation with them. If they say thank you, hey, that's great. What else is going on that's good in your life? You know, and or maybe just tell them something you appreciate about them. Could be something that they're wearing or if you know them personally, hey, you know what? I really like how you did this. That helps extend the, the feeling or the game of tag to more than you. Now, Tim, I don't know about you. You know, I don't know how you grow up, but playing tag by yourself is boring and more than a little embarrassing. So maybe right? it's a little, a little, <laughs> a little peek into my childhood. But it's when you start involving people that tag becomes more fun, more lively, more engaging. And the more the merrier, the more people playing tag, the more fun it is. And it's the same with the attitude of gratitude. Because the more we can affect other people's lives in a positive way, the more they will likely want to do the same for others. And, and that's why I, I like to share it, share my message, especially with high schoolers, college students, some, you know, those in the military, because while I hope no one ever has to deal with what I went through with NF, they have their own struggles to deal with. And by increasing their, their uh, gratitude, their positivity and their resilience, like me, they'll be able to overcome their challenges and become stronger on the other side. Because of that greater gratitude, positivity, and resilience, I not only have recovered fully, but I've also started setting loftier goals. In fact, I've achieved a couple of them this past year. I've become a professional speaker, sharing my message with high schoolers and other young adults. I started, uh, I actually secured a, uh, another teaching license just a couple months ago. I tested for my first degree black belt in Taekwondo. And a couple of weeks ago, I just received word that I had achieved it. So that'll be coming in the mail pretty soon. Uh, there'll be a presentation. I'm really excited about that. That's been something I've been wanting to do all my life is get, uh, secure my black belt. And I've also set a goal for securing a uh, Boston, Boston Marathon qualifying time before 20, by 2030. And I say by 2030, that seems like a long time away, but I'm not very good at the marathon, Respect, you know, comparatively to my other, uh, my other distances. I'm pretty good at other distances. The marathons always eluded me, and I, and I went to Boston a couple of years ago with my wife, and I absolutely loved it. And I, I definitely want to toe that line and cross and crossed uh, that finish line at Boynton Street. I think it's Boynton Street. I think, let me see. I'll look it up sometime. Anyway, yes, Boston Marathon on my list. But it's because of TAG and that greater positivity, gratitude, and resilience that I've been, I felt like, yes, I can, I've conquered this challenge. I want to see what else I can conquer. That's excellent. Congratulations on, on all the things that you've been able to accomplish. Those are all great things. And, and, and knowing the drive that you have, and I'm pretty sure that uh, the Boston Marathon won't won't be uh, elusive for too long. 
So I'm I'm hoping. Yeah, I'm hoping. Oh, I, I forgot I forgot to mention I was actually featured in the latest episode, uh, latest issue of Runners World magazine. Fantastic. Which is, yeah, which is something I've always wanted to do, and I, I was actually able to pull off a funny Ryan Reynolds inspired look. Um, it, on the poster, free guy. He's got that. He's looking off in the middle distance, and he's got this wide-eyed smile. You know, why? Just he's like all looking all happy when all heck is breaking loose behind him. Right. And so I got the, a similar look as I'm as I'm posing, and I have an ex- exaggerated running stance, but I did it, you know, to be a little campy, be a little funny, and I'm showing my scars to show that hey, you know what? I'm I'm a discount Deadpool. I can still be happy, and so can you. And so I'm really excited about that uh, opportunity. So that was really fun. Discount Deadpool. God, I love that. That's fantastic. <laughs> All right. So, Chris, let me ask you this. When Let's go back to your, your time in the hospital. Mm-hmm. When you were there, and so there's there's two two times I want to ask you about what your, your, your personal mental reaction was. Uh, so first, when they told you, uh, at the original hospital, that this is beyond them. And then secondly, the reaction to hearing the words necrotizing fasciitis. Because anytime we hear the word necro in anything, it's never good. That means yeah. death. That means dead. Yeah. So what were what was your personal emotional mental response to those situations? First of all, great question. Uh, I, if I can't, I can't remember the last time I was asked that. Uh, well, when I was told that the first hospital could do nothing more for me, I immediately thought, well, let's go to where it can, because I, I knew that this was beyond me. I, I couldn't fix this myself. So I was in the mindset of, all right, let's just go where it can be fixed. And I had never heard of necrotizing fasciitis. So I didn't think of, hey, maybe this is that, but I knew that Mayo Clinic would be able to handle it. So that's why I was, you know, not only that, but also because of the family connection, I knew that that was the place I needed to go. I knew that people were also thinking about uh, sending me to um, Hennepin County Medical Center because they do, they have a, a fantastic burn unit in that, in that hospital. But at the time that burn, I didn't have a burn. So I wasn't even thinking of that. I just said, you know what? Mayo can figure this out. Let's go to Mayo. In terms of being told that it's uh, enough, I had a, a similar reaction. Again, when they told me what it was, I was already starting to feel the effects of painkillers. Thank you, ketamine. Not only for that, but for the wonderful uh, hallucinations I experienced. I, I could go into another whole podcast episode. I could write a book about all the uh, hallucinations I had. Um, but I was under the same mindset that I was thinking, you know what? If I'm going to die at the Mayo Clinic, it's not going to be due to lack of trying. I, I, they're top notch. They're going to do the best that they can. And I had full faith that either they're going to do what they can or if I die, it's not because they didn't try their best. Okay, fair enough. All right, another question for you. So, you know, a lot of times we talk about when people, you know, you kind of mix it into your story here, but 
what was the specific moment, if you can recall, where you said, this isn't going to beat me. I am going to move forward from this. It was when Becky started telling me all of those things because I, like I said, I was, I had been struggling with, okay, what am I, what's life going to be like? What am I going to be able to do? What am I going to be able to, you know, to, how am I going to be able to act with people? You know, I know they saved my arm, but what's it going to be able to do for me? I had no idea that I'd still be able to do full pull-ups after I recovered. My mind wasn't there yet, but by able, by being able to see, wow, all of these people are helping me out. If I were to learn of all this gratitude, of all, learn of all this love and goodwill, they're sharing us, sharing towards us and say, you want, screw this. I'm not going to, I don't want to think about that. That would be a slap in the face to anyone who helped us out in any way. And I was not about to set that tone for myself or my family because no one, no one was under any obligation to start a GoFundMe account. No one was under any obligation to go to my in-law's house and donate toys or food to, or clothing to my kids. They were doing this because they love us or they at least stand us enough to hope I don't die. So I want to show them that their faith in me was not in vain. Excellent. Yeah, I think too, one of the things that was probably the most powerful for us was the power of community. When we were in the hospital with my daughter and going through what we were going through, you do have, even though my daughter was the one who was enduring the situation, you still have that feeling of being marooned, like you're, you're quarantined, you're separated, you're, you're, you know, from everybody else. But when the community starts responding and your friends and your family come visiting, and we had friends of friends who said, Hey, we heard about your daughter and they came up and visited just to say hi and, and try and be encouraging. And, you know, that was fantastic. I, you know, there are so many people that came up to the hospital. I don't know them all by name. I wish I had an opportunity uh, to sit them down and just say thank you for what they did for my family uh, to those who can, who contributed to the GoFundMe that for my family, um, we would not have made it through the hospital hospitalization time without that uh, because neither my wife nor I were working. Bills weren't getting paid. That's how we lived for, you know, for yeah. 97 days. Uh, and it, it's amazing uh, what that power of community can do. And, and to your point earlier uh, about the, uh, the personal bacteria uh, that did start to set in, but like you said earlier, that, that power of community helped that kind of go away. And, 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 and then I think that's where you start to see the silver lining in, in, in issues like this, where you're able to start to look for things that are positive and start looking, as you put it, with your tag, uh, yes. you know, and, and, and finding the, that attitude of gratitude and being able to move forward. So excellent. Okay. So Chris, we have just two more questions for you. And then the same two questions I ask every single guest who's ever been on focused on forward. Okay. All right. So here we go. The first is looking back over the entirety of your journey. What's the single greatest lesson that you have learned? I would have to say, Tim, that it would have to be 
to pass on perfection and go for greatness. Now, I know that I could say, you know, be thankful for what you have. That's tied into my message. But we are inundated. I don't know. I can't tell you how many times with images of perfection, whether they be on billboards or in online ads or magazine ads, TV ads, everything looks perfect in those advertisements. But if you think about it, even those advertisements are brief glimpses of perfection. And often they're doctored. They're not even real. So perfection at most is a fleeting moment. So most often it's a fabrication. And as soon as that picture's taken, that model gets off the, off the runway, you'll make it, it comes off, you know, and she looks like a normal person. That car that is in the, you know, in that TV ad, you know, you never know a couple of days later, it could get a crack in the windshield. All right. Perfection is fleeting. And to pursue it and pursue it with nothing out with no other recourse is futile. And it could lead to some detrimental effects. However, going for greatness is can lead you to some very positive results. Because when you go for greatness, you have to be consistent in your practice. You have to be diligent in your, in your efforts. And you have to be, be perseverant when times get tough. No matter what you want to attempt, no matter what goal you want to go for, you don't have to be perfect to do those, to do, attain that goal. But if you're consistent with your practice, diligent in how you practice, and you're perseverant through the tough times, sure, whatever you're doing, you might be perfect occasionally, maybe once or twice, but you'll always be great. And that greatness is much more enduring than perfection will ever be. Great answer. I like it. All right. Thank you. And here's the second question, pretty similar to the first one. Looking back over the entirety of your journey, what's the single greatest piece of advice that you were given? That was given. Well, if you were to say I would give, it would be the pass on perfection, go for greatness. But this one that you were personally given that helped you given by someone. Okay. Hmm. Another great question, Tim. I would have to say asking for a daily beer prescription. When I was talking with my brother uh, one time, he taught, he taught, hey, you should ask for a beer sometime. And I, and I thought about it, like, you know what? Why not? And so on a Friday morning after one of my surgeries, the doctor and his team were at the foot of my bed telling me how things went. And I said, you know what? Can I have a beer tonight? It's been a while. And I think things are going pretty well. The doctor, Dr. Bakri, gets this wistful look in his face. And he says, you know what? Yeah, I think I'll have one too. So I'm thinking, well, this will be easy peasy. I'll just ask Bill, my father-in-law, to bring a beer and we'll, we'll split it. So I, I call him up. Hey, Bill, bring a beer and two glasses because it's been a while. I'm not going to be able to finish one on my own. 
and you know, bring it up when you come up at you know tonight at eight. So he comes up at eight o'clock with a paper bag with one beer and two glasses. But at the time, he was the one of the chaplains at the hospital. He's a retired pastor. He's one of the chaplains, and he said, "Well, let me go check on something, Chris." So he goes in, or he goes out of the room for a minute, and comes back a, a minute later with this hangdog look in his face. And he, re he replied, Chris, I think we're in trouble. She had to go check on something. So we wait a couple minutes. I'm looking at that bag. I'm thinking, if I could just coax him over close enough, I can grab the bag and just shotgun the beer right now. But before I could even get to ask him, ask him that question, the nurse comes in with a piece of paper in one hand and a beer from the pharmacy in the other. The doctor had written me a daily beer prescription for a beer a day. And she had grabbed one of the beers from the pharmacy. And I'm not saying I, I drank a beer every day while I was in the hospital, but the days that I did went a lot smoother than the days I didn't. And That's the fantastic. lesson I learned from that, the lesson I learned from that was take the chance. The worst thing someone can say is no. And I've, since that day, I've been a lot braver and I've actually achieved a lot of big and small goals because of that. Because I, I, I went and asked the question, I was able to get permission for my son to start Taekwondo lessons with him. I was able to get one of the coolest pictures with Weird Al Yankovic ever, where he's hugging me like he's happy to see me. And by the way, if you ever get a chance to meet Weird Al Yankovic, take it. He is no joke. One of the most genuine, kindest people you will ever meet. They say, no, they say don't meet your heroes. Weird Al is, is an exception. But if I didn't ask, I wouldn't have had that great picture taken with him. And so go ask the question. Go for it is, you know, is definitely my answer to, the, to your question. Excellent. I love that. And now I need to ask for a beer prescription. That's fantastic. Okay. Yes. All right, Chris. Uh, this has been a ton of fun. And I, I always enjoy speaking with you and, and uh, getting to know you a little bit better. But for those who are listening to the show and who would like to become listeners of yours as well, where can people find you and find out more information about you? Well, first of all, Tim, thank you again very much for the opportunity. I too like chatting with you and getting geeky in our conversations. People, if people want to find out more of what I'm doing, especially with speaking and my message of the attitude of gratitude, they could go to Chris dtgordon.com that's c-h-r-i-s d as in daniel t as in thomas or as i like to say darn terrific gordon g-o-r-d-o-n.com you can find out a little more about my message of the attitude of gratitude you can see um, some links to my facebook my linkedin my youtube um instagram and other things I've been doing. You can also download a free ta tag one sheet so you can practice tag on your own. But also if you are part of a group that caters to young adults, high schoolers, college students, the military, 
please reach out to me. I want to use my message to share tag with them to increase their gratitude, positivity, and resilience. You can also look up uh, my channel, Chris DT Gordon on YouTube to find my, my video Scar Bears podcasts. And you can go to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play for Scar Bearers, the audio version of my podcast. Excellent. We'll make sure that we link uh, your website and Scarberries down below so that people can, can find that and, and uh, become followers and listeners of yours as well. Thank so, you. Uh, yep, and you can find, yeah, I'm sorry. I was going to say, you can also find me at, at Chris, DT, Chris DT Gordon on LinkedIn, Facebook, YouTube, and, and uh, Instagram. So, All right. Perfect. We'll make sure that those are all linked. Awesome. Fantastic. Those will be down in the show, the show notes below. All right. Well, guys, uh, this is our opportunity to say thank you to Chris. Thank you for stopping by, sharing his message, his story. And I strongly encourage you to go check out Scar Bears, uh, not just because I'm a, a Scar Bear who has been on the show, but uh, because Chris is doing some really good work over there and, and getting people to share their stories and, and helping them to uh, share their, their attitudes of gratitude as well throughout the things that they've gone through. So please go over and check out his work. Uh, it, it's, uh, it's really good stuff. But uh, this also brings us to the conclusion of Focused on Forward. Thanks for listening. Well, that concludes another episode of Focused on Forward. To be a guest of Focused on Forward, you can reach us through Twitter at PodcastFOF, through our Facebook page named Focused on Forward, or through email, focusedonforward at gmail.com. We look forward to hearing each and every one of your stories that has yet to be told. So until then, be safe, be kind, and be loving to one another as you stay focused on forward.